Welcome to Built by a Boss. I'm your host, Evelyn Brooks, journalist, award-winning producer, author, founder of In My Solitude LA. On this podcast, you'll hear the unique origin story of Andrea Fairweather Bailey, celebrity makeup artist, founder and CEO of Fairweather Faces, a traveling beauty service that includes a mobile beauty business, patented traveling beauty kits, and luxury makeup brushes. Did I also mention that she made history as the first African-American key makeup artist at Good Morning America? You are going to learn a lot in this episode from how to reinvent and grow your beauty business in the digital age to the best way to protect yourself and clients in the age of COVID-19. And that's just the beginning. Here's Andrea Fairweather Bailey. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Hey, Evelyn, Andrea. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm good, darling. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm so good. It's so great to hear your voice. I know. <laughs> after all these years, right? <laughs> I know. You, well, you sound like the quintessential New Yorker. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My New York talk. <laughs> I hear your New York accent. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. I am so excited for our conversation today. You know, I love the beauty industry. I love the topic of beauty in all areas. And I love what you do and just the current climate that we're in. Like, we have so much good stuff to talk about. So, yeah, we really do. Yes. You ready? (laughs) I am. I am. I am ready. Okay. So, I have been fortunate to have known you for so many years. We worked together years ago at Ed Gordon, at CBS, BT, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now, you are the key makeup artist at Good Morning America, the first African-American woman, an entrepreneur with several patents. Let's first talk about Good Morning America, a key makeup artist. Explain to folks what that is and, and why that's so critical as an African-American woman. It was really a faith walk. It was everything was moving in alignment um, for me. Um, a prayer went out. I was on, I started off on the cosmetic floor. I was in Saks. And that was my last job before I really felt like, you know what, I've got to branch off and step out on this vision and just take a chance. And it was about a month later from the time that I stepped off the floor at Saks that I got this phone call on a Thursday night. I'll never forget this. And it was about 7 p.m., which in television time for a morning show, that's very late (laughs) because you should get, you should be sleeping at seven to get up at 3 a.m. Absolutely. You know, I had no idea of what that world was. So I got this phone call stating that their makeup artist got sick and could I, fill in and I said of course and they said well you have to be at Central Park tomorrow and it was for the GMA um the Good Morning America summer concert series so it was a Friday I had to show up and and I went and I was really really nervous I remember my knees were knocking together but I said you know what I I can do this like I they're not calling for no reason I can do this and then after that it was really it went really well and then they just kept calling and calling and calling And then finally, about a month later, um, after calling for me to be a daily hire, I was there every day, Monday through Friday, 
they finally said to me, you know, um, everyone really likes you. You're really, really good. You're professional and you're fast. Like you really, you work really, really quickly under pressure. Could, would you consider taking this position? And I was like, absolutely. And then when I went to uh, production services and, and asked them because celebrities kept making comments to me all the time saying, sister, do you realize what, who you are here, what the position is. There are no other African-American key makeup artists within the networks. And Mm -hmm. I, again, I was really green. I didn't know that. So I went to production services and I inquired about that. And I said, listen, you know, people are um, giving me um, information. I need to know, is this accurate? Am I the first African-American key makeup artist hired here at Good Morning America? And they said, yeah, actually you are. So I realized then that it was pretty monumental, the position that I was in. The key makeup artist means that you're the head of the show. So whatever your work is that you're putting on the talent. And at that time, when I came in, Joan London had just left. So it was Lisa McCree and a gentleman by the name of Kevin Newman. And then Kevin Newman got replaced by Charles Gibson, Charlie Gibson. And then Diane Sawyer came in. So even though Diane had her own crew i ended up at some point having to work on diane as well and being a second makeup artist for her on the forefront key makeup artist is is crucial to a show's brand to their branding because it means that your work is being seen on a daily basis for that show it's about 15 million plus i think and it's monumental because you help set the tone of what the look is and if your branding like a show like Good Morning America, that means that the audience is accustomed to seeing a daily trend, a daily look, a daily foundation, if you will, that anchors them and allows them to start their day because it becomes familiar to them and they're looking forward to seeing it. So fast forward all these years, um, I ended up going back specifically to Good Morning America about 2009 um, to be specifically for Lara Spencer. But since then, I kind of like went right back into the position again of opening it up and using my talents on all the other talents that are there, including major celebrities that come in. It could be Sting. It could be Denzel. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm open to anyone. And that's, that's a powerful position to be in. Well, the thing that I would, uh, say and add to even kind of give more clarity to what that means on the, on the other side of it. So when you are the anchor sitting in that chair or with, if you're the, the celebrity or the model or whatever it is, if you're talent, a lot of times you may go in a situation, particularly if you're a person of color and you may encounter a makeup artist who doesn't know how to work with your skin tone or doesn't have the proper foundation. And so for you to be able to go into GMA and you can work on everyone, that is still not the case for a large number of makeup artists today. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, that, that's so true. I don't necessarily ever really realize because I'm so busy working, working, working that, yeah, that's something that I found, um, within my circle of um, my clique of makeup artists, if you will, especially at that show. We've been really fortunate where we have um, artists that 
are universal. Like they're just an artist. They, they don't just specialize in one thing. They can do all complexions. And back then when I was starting off, especially back then, it, that really wasn't the case. Although I knew that I had to be universal, like in order to make it and in order to, um, to hold my spot, I knew that I needed to be versatile to be able to work with everyone. And they recognized that. So I was really blessed and fortunate in that way. I think now that a lot of celebrities have spoken up specifically on um, movie sets and episodic sets where it's still a problem where a lot of artists don't know how to handle their hair or um, the makeup that the celebrities, and it was going to happen at some point, were going to start to become vocal and especially now because back then we weren't really dealing with the internet it was just the beginnings of it now that you have this social media is such a powerful tool that once you put that thought out there of what's happening what's going wrong if you will or like the rumor especially with these celebrities they get such a spotlight turned on them so quickly that you know everyone else had to like step their game up and be able to appease them because that is your job and they shouldn't have to worry about, Oh, well, do I look okay? Is my hair right? Is my makeup right? Not in this day and age. Right. Right. Exactly. And I, and I think that's an important note for anyone who wants to operate at your level, wants to enter the beauty industry to know that part of knowing your craft is knowing how to work on all ethnicities, you know, all age groups in, t- in terms of skin type, because as you get older, you know, your, your skin is different. You can't put the same makeup on a 50 year old that you put on a 20 year old because their skin is different, you know? So mm-hmm. I always think that those are important things to consider when somebody is saying, Hey, I want to be a makeup artist. It's not just doing videos and putting them on Instagram. It's knowing your craft as well. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, Evelyn, that's such a good point because it actually goes even deeper than that. You know, we joke around sometimes and we go, oh man, I got 50 jobs. I'm a makeup artist. I'm a therapist. I'm a a massage therapist. I'm a doctor. It's so many nuances that go into the art form. Mm -hmm. It's, and it really, it will weed you out rather quickly. And when I say that, what that means is that type of position, when you work with celebrities, I mean, I treat all my clients like celebrities, even if they aren't on the stage, they get the same experience from fair weather faces as they would if they were in front of the camera mm-hmm. um, as a star. It takes a very special person to stay in this industry because you have to keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Like you have to understand right. that you're there to service others. You're not there to um, be the star yourself. You're not there to have the spotlight on you. On you. You're a part of the back end support team. You're there to help get that client to look and feel their best. Um, And that means keeping your mouth shut. That means not jumping in front of the camera all the time. That means keeping secrets, protecting them. Mm -hmm. You see and hear a lot. And it can be dangerous on the other side of it. If you're a person that's looking to make a name for yourself coming into it, it's not about you making a name for yourself, but you maintaining the name of your clients. That's Mm -hmm. really what it is. So you have to have a different mindset besides the talent. There's a whole lot more that goes into it. What I loved about what you said is every time you go into a particular job, you have to kind of look at it holistically 
But then at the same time, a lot of times it's freelance. So you have to think about over time, what are you building? In your case, as long as I've known you, you've been building Fairweather Faces. Right. Yeah. Fairweather Faces actually was the, um, the ship that brought everything together. Fairweather Faces started in 1997, where I actually incorporated them, but I had the vision many years prior, at least five to seven years prior. But I couldn't make a move on it within those years because there was nothing else for me to follow. Like there was literally no other type of business or blueprint for me to follow within the beauty industry that would allow me to just kind of mimic something else. So it was really me just building it from scratch. And it took a long time, all those years because of fear. And um, particularly because I just didn't know what to do. I was an artist. I was trained as an actress, dancer. And then from there, I moved into makeup. So I wasn't the type of academic that went to business school. I literally built Fair With Her Faces from common sense. And my base common sense was I wanted to create a business that would go to the client's home or office or location. It was totally up to the client where the service would be provided and have a team of artists that would be certified to provide makeup, hair, nails, and massage therapy. In 1998, once I got to Good Morning America and was able to position myself to speak daily to the clients about the services, because that was one thing I promised myself. If I take this position, then I've got to make it work where I can build the business on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was each day I had to speak to at least no less than three, no higher than than maybe 10 Mm -hmm. clients about the company. And by doing that, I was able to get them on board to book and order the other services that we had to offer. So it was building the clients while being there at the show got me a lot of exposure on the other side of it. And then I realized that, okay, you know what? If I'm thinking just New York, I need to open this up. So in 98, I opened it up where I started first and just did a test run out in LA. I wanted to see if everyone would bite and they did. It was not that hard. It wasn't that difficult because I really was under the assumption that there must be they must have services like this out here. This is um, Hollywood. They must have people traveling to them. And no, it was still the same ideology of you go to them. If, if it's a salon service, then you go to the salon. But what Fair With A Face's concept was we flipped it. Instead of it being you go to the salon, it's like the salon services go to you. Right. And from LA, we just started slowly building out to where we have all the major cities and we have teams, Fair Weather Faces teams placed in all of the major USA cities. So it took a long time, but it was just the same concept over and over, just building out and building up these teams to provide on-site beauty services. And what was your criteria for being a part of the Fair Weather Faces team in terms of the, the stylists or the makeup artists? How, how did you find them? And, and what was the philosophy of your company in terms of the, the service that you were providing? Well, the philosophy always was and has been that we provide services in beauty and peace. In beauty because we're providing beauty services in peace because that has to be the, 
the undergirding of it. That has to be the feel. That has to be how we come in. That has to be how we go out. And that has to be how we leave the client feeling. Mm-hmm. The criteria to getting on the team started with me really on the SATS floor. I was already starting to scout out from my other beauty friends that were at other beauty counters. Um, how would you feel if, you know, I started my own business? Would you come on board? And everyone said yes. So it only took like maybe like two or three um, from various counters. Just ask them, you know, would you come on? Let's just test it out. Because I had no idea if there would be any longevity in it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't exactly certain how to execute it. I was still in that fog of trying to figure it out. But I at least knew that common sense told me you need to have a team before you pull the trigger on this thing. So I just went to my really good girlfriends there and asked them if they would be interested. They said yes. And the majority stayed with me at least a good 15, 17 years from starting off with me before they uh, started either their own businesses or, you know, just moved on into doing other things um, within beauty or other fields. But the criteria to get on I realized as I started to develop the business, especially as we started to get closer to the fifth year, Mm -hmm. was critical because once you get to five years in a business, that's when you start to see that, okay, you have something here Mm -hmm. if it's able to sustain itself. But for us, because it was, it's hands-on, it's spiritual, it's not just talent, but it's also personality. Mm -hmm. I really had to learn how to weed out the talkers, gossipers, Mm -hmm. those that didn't really have the spirit to serve, Mm. but knew that they were talented, but it made it more about them. It was really difficult for me because sometimes I can be really loyal to a Mm -hmm. fault. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard learning lesson that I had to realize you have to let people go quickly. If they're not in alignment with what you're doing, you have to let them go. And that was a hard one for me because I you know, would think on the back end, like, oh, but, you know, they're a parent and, you know, they have rent or a mortgage and you can't make excuses for for people if they're not in alignment because they will break your business. They'll they'll bring it down and cause such damage to it that you may not be able to repair it in enough time to appease the clients. Right. You know, a lot of it wasn't just talent. Talent was there. Yes, that was 50% of it. But the other half for me was definitely the spirit. Like, did they have a spirit to serve? Could they keep their mouth shut and not be chit chatty? Prompt, being prompt. That that's a big one for us. If you you have to be on time with these clients because it's not like they're coming to us and you could say, Oh, well, you were late for your appointment. It's us going to them. So there's a lot of nuances involved in being a, a mobile traveling beauty service. So talk about your 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 kits that you developed. I, I really love those because that is a product that you can sell while you're sleeping. Talk about how you decided to develop a product. Yeah, that, that came about in 2008. We had just hit the 10th anniversary. One of my colleagues came to me and he said, Andrea, you know, you've been doing all this what you've done like with your traveling beauty business is amazing. Have you ever thought to actually have a product? And I said, yeah, well, the services are the product. And he was like, no, not that. 
for the clients to be able to buy something from you. And I said, what do you mean? Like a lipstick? And he was like, yes. And I was like, oh no, no way. Uh -uh. I can't see that because you know, there are just too many makeup lines out there and I just can't, you know, I, I can't see it. If I can't see the vision, then I can't move on it. Right. And so at the same time that he was saying that to me, Lara Spencer kept pressing me saying, Andrea, I can't literally take you everywhere with me. I wish I could. But um, when they're flying her all around and if I, you know, couldn't go because of some contractual obligation, she was like, well, who's going to do my makeup? And, you know, I feel lost without you. And how am I going to do this? So I already started drawing like these little mini charts for her and doing like a A, B, C, D sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And writing these really detailed charts of a step-by-step instruction, which is, was the closest I could replicate of me actually being there mm-hmm. with her. And she thought it was brilliant. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I kind of just kind of shrugged it off. But then my colleague came back to me and said, Andrea, you really need, you know, forget the cosmetics. If you don't feel that, don't do that. But you need to do something with these tutorials that you've created for her. Couldn't you like create something? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe you're right with that. Maybe I could do something. And then so I just started to pray on it. And then the vision started to come with that, mm-hmm. which had to be something to replicate fair with the faces. So we have fair with the faces traveling beauty services. So I figured, okay, now I can make these travel size kits, fair with the faces travel, traveling beauty kits, which would, it started off with a travel size face chart that was color coded in dots, red, yellow, green, and blue primary colors so that the client could match the colored dots to the colors on the makeup brushes red, yellow, green, and blue, again, the primary colors to get the client to think like a makeup artist, how we match things, Mm -hmm. how we color things, how we place things. And it took a minute to do that. But once I finally got it down, it then became this simplified color-coded system of just matching. If you remember back in the day, um, like paint by numbers, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that theory, but for your face. So I was able to start on the road of patenting it, the um, the color-coded system. And I didn't realize that I had a number of themes within that one umbrella of the color-coded system to be able to patent. So from 2008 all the way through, because patents are... (laughs) They're no joke um, yes. to get. Once you file one patent, it takes at least five to seven years just to get one patent to pass. And we wow. have five. So wow. it took all those years. Like once you patent, then you have to wait, wait, wait until they, you know, start to examine it. So we got five patents out of the color-coded system and the whole uh, color kit, the, the Fair With The Faces um, face kits five patents came out of that, which is really cool. That's really great. But for everyone to know overall, it's just a simplified way for you to be able to create my celebrity makeup looks while at home or on the go. And that's really cool because now we have the colors to match. So now you don't have to go running around trying to buy all these different colors. It's like a one-stop shop. Just choose the look that you like and everything is just sent to you so you can replicate that look whenever and wherever you want. Oh, so you buy the actual products that go into the kit 
to achieve the look? No, we simplified it even more. We used to do that. You can do that if you have more time and you, if you feel more that you're more of a seasoned makeup person, you can do that. And they absolutely do match with any and other makeup products or makeup brands. Yes, you can do that. But we simplified it even further by having our own colors included in it. So it's a whole kit. It's the makeup chart, the makeup brushes, and the colors to match. Nice. Yeah, so it simplifies it even more. And it's really cool. It's really... We've been told that the um, makeup line is fantastic. It's one thing for me to say it, but it's better coming from the customers and um, bloggers to actually say, and I'm really proud of that. We've never had anyone say that the products are cheap and that they don't do what we say they will. They feel really good. They're designed for sensitive skin, which was really important to us in the formulation. And the colors are just gorgeous. They're really, really beautiful. Wow. So I imagine in this moment in time that we're living in, the age of COVID-19, you already have a product line. And I know people are just like, how could I do my makeup myself? I don't have a makeup artist. People are still going on air. So I'm sure your kits are truly coming in handy. Yeah, they are. I had already getting the kits into the hands of the various correspondents that we have at ABC. And they're, they're just so lovely. They would uh, blog or Instagram or whatever it was that they would do to let me know that it's working. It's working for me. It's working. I'm like, oh, good, good, good. So, you know, you don't have to fret so much wondering, oh, will they be okay in creating the look? Will they be okay in following the directions? They all gave me the thumbs up that it was working for them. So when um, the pandemic hit, they were already set, ready to go. What we're finding on the back end of that is um, I was already doing private Zoom lessons for various clients across the country. Mm -hmm. And so now we've just gone public with it that that service is available. You can take a private consultation with me or one of the artists, or you can do a group lesson. Sometimes the women, you know, if in isolation due to the pandemic, don't feel like being alone. Mm-hmm. And so they want some kind of camaraderie with their fellow beauty um, friends. And so they'll book a session and it'll be us, just a group of us online together. And it's like a step-by-step instruction. And it's been really cool because, you know, you get to learn from them as well. Um, I get to get them through their makeup hurdles or challenges. Mm-hmm. And then they come out feeling more confident, more open to trying new colors or just even, um, because we're not the type of business that's like a money grubber, like, oh, you have to use our products. Right. If they have products within their own makeup bag that they don't know how to use well, we give them a tutorial on that as well so that they don't waste their budget, but have more information given to them so that they understand the product better so they can get the most usage out of it. Wow. So, so, so smart. So smart, Andrea. Thank you. So I read this article recently. It was talking about the beauty industry and how so many makeup artists overnight were out of work because events were canceled and how, you know, the industry for many people, it's freelance. So if the artist they're working with doesn't work, then they don't work. So my question is, 
once we all get through this, everything is kind of changing and makeup is a very intimate experience. How do you see the industry having to shift in response to social distancing um, and the idea of, you know, having to be in close contact now? What, what is your vision of what our future may look like or, or how people will be protecting themselves? Ooh, that is such a good question. I, I see a, a few things happening. Um, the first is it'll never go back to what it was before. I, I just don't believe so. I think that the way we provide services to clients, the difference will be either the, the gloves and the masks mm-hmm. from here on out or just for another length of time. Mm-hmm. I think that will be the first thing. I think that clients are now a bit more educated in sanitation and seeing what it looks like mm-hmm. and what it's supposed to feel like in front of them. So I think production will have to give each artist a bit more time before just jumping and allowing someone to jump in the chair as quickly as we were moving before. I think that's going to have to slow down and they have to give us enough time to sanitize everything down and prep, do major prep before the next talent comes in and sits in the chair. Mm -hmm. I think that beauty on the internet is going to boom forevermore. Mm-hmm. I think that we were just on the tip of it, you know, way before the pandemic started. There were a few artists that were already out there, out there doing their own makeup lessons privately on Zoom and these other platforms. But I think for safety, that will be in the forefront before anything else mm-hmm. is building your brand where you can make yourself and your services different in a way to get the herd to come to you to get them to listen and to buy into what it is that you're, you're selling online in terms of um, beauty lessons or whatever it is that you're selling. And also what I think had to happen is, and I knew that this would happen, and I knew that it would be unfortunate, but I knew that a lot of artists would feel the financial burn of it really quickly. And I hated that. And I knew that it would happen, but I hated it. But at the same time, I've been preaching in all of the interviews that I've done since this pandemic started, Mm -hmm. the power of investing, Mm -hmm. that we as artists can't look at it as if investing is just for the the good old boys or those in suits or that it's an untouchable concept for us. Absolutely not. If you are someone that could save at least a minimum of $2,500, then you've got to jump into this thing. You've got to seek out a financial advisor and you have to start to get your mind and your discipline to train yourself to start to put money away, but not put money away in the traditional sense of checking and savings, but investments. I'm not deeming myself to be a financial advisor in any means, but I am deeming myself to be um, a business coach. I've been a liaison for a number of individuals and their businesses for years, quietly guiding them. If they listen, they were successful. If not, they're playing catch up now. Right. Um, and I always preach to all of them um, because it was taught to me very early on in the business. I didn't understand it. I was fearful. I lost two years on the back end because of fear. I know how hard it is to make a dollar. 
And I wasn't about to give that up for something that I didn't understand. Right. But once I got in front of the right people that would work with me, that informed me, that educated me on the value of investing and what that would look like and what that meant, I got it. I, I understood the difference and why I had to get in it. And I say that to everyone. You don't have to just be an artist to do this. I say that to all all people, no matter what um, the employment status or where you are financially right now, at least start to get your mind prepped in that direction because that is how a lot of folks are able to sustain themselves during crisis. And that really hit me upside the head in 2009 when that recession hit. Mm-hmm. That's when it really made sense to me then because that's how I was able to sustain the business. And in speaking to other business owners that are successful, that's how they were all able to do it. And you don't feel the bleed so much. So if anything else, that's what I would say is, you know, everyone has got to start to look to investing. So here's another thing that I've noticed, and I think it ties in perfectly with what you just said. I think that there is a difference between, and you alluded to it earlier when you talked about the, the, the artist, you know, being the service provider and not, you know, the celebrity per se. And I think that shows up visually a lot where you'll see on Instagram a photo of the hairstylist or the makeup artist or whatever it is. And they're going off to do their client, and, but they have as much LV luggage as the client does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's great if, if you have done all the things that you just said and it's, it's not an issue for you to have that. But I think it's important to distinguish between the look of a glamorous life and the reality of the life that you're actually living behind the scenes as an artist. Can you, can you speak to that? Oh, that's a sad tale. That is a sad, <laughs> ooh, that is a sad tale. Yeah, I just a couple of months ago had a really intense conversation about this very thing that, you know, sometimes you start to hear these stories and I'm like, no, please tell me it's not true. They're like, no, it's true. It's like all a lie. Um, it's, it's twofold. Everyone tells you that when you see things on social media, don't believe it. Like, don't believe that it's such a glamorous life. Don't believe, you know, the the bells and whistles of it. It's all smoke and mirrors. And a lot of that is true. It, it, it is very true. But the back end of that is, and I didn't realize the severity of it, is that a lot of artists are hurting financially because they fell for that concept of, if you show that you have money and that you're living like a star, then you'll get more work out of it and you'll be able to command um, a higher rate. And yeah, and all that can be true to some point, but the, the lie of it is having to have all these name brands to make it. That's the lie in it. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that a number of artists that I know of are actually financially I don't want to say in ruins, but they're like a biscuit away from being homeless. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you serious? And they're like, girl, that's all a show. Like all that luggage and all those bags and all that bling and furs and everything. It's, 
a joke. It's like a lie. Like they don't live like that. Like they really, they can't pay their rent. They can't, they have to make a decision, the phone or eating or the gas bill. Like, and I'm like, are you serious? But you know, there you go. Thank you, internet, because that's the farce in it. Right. It makes you believe that if you have all these things or you look like you are living this kind of life that you really are. And that is so not true. The, the makeup artists and hairstylists that I know of have a lot of longevity in this business and they are not the ones that have any kind of main brand. They just don't rock like that. Their investments are in um, homes, real estate, um, constantly reinvesting in their brands, health, they eat extremely well. They, you know, go to the doctor. They have money to go to the doctor, the dentist. Um, they're investors. They, um, you know, we have like those type of conversations. They go to Target for, for stuff. I go to Target as well. I'll rock a, you know, jeans from Target or whatever. And, you know, I don't, I have Gucci, but I don't care about that. Like, that's not, I understand the value of, it's cute, but it's not everything. And I think, I wish, my wish at least, is that a lot of these artists or want-to-be's in this field would just understand that, you know, you really have to be an individual and really be strong-minded to stay in it and to not get swallowed up in the farce, the, um, the fake side of it to think like you have to spend out all this money just to be or that they'll want you more. That's so not true. And it never was that way. So, so, so such good advice. So I want to talk about this one issue and then I've got, then I want to ask my favorite questions that I ask at the end, but this is an issue I want to talk about as well, which is, which is the idea of external beauty versus internal beauty and aging beauty, something that I've been seeing during the quarantine. And I know you're going to love this, Andrea. So I have been seeing two things, men, gray hair in the quarantine versus women during the quarantine. So I've seen a number of men like Kevin Hart, mm-hmm. gray, like had no idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> like, you would never know. These men yep. running around here, uh, coloring their hair, who had any idea? Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. seeing gray beards, gray hair, the whole nine yards. And and then with women, there was one, one challenge I saw, and I think Supa and Quay did it, where you saw the women barefaced and then you saw them in full makeup. And so the thing that I'm noticing is we're expanding our definition of beauty, which is wonderful, but women are not necessarily getting on board with that as much as we could as it pertains to our changing beauty. You rock your natural hair. Marbra Fakil, she wears her hair gray. Robin Latticer Johnson, she own. I would love to see more women because I know we are up in here in this quarantine showing some roots right now. (laughs) 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 I don't see any women out here talking about, girl, look at my gray hair. I'm just not seeing that. So Uh what are your Uh thoughts about that? Yes. um, Well, you know, what's funny is I... um, I do agree with you that, yeah, the guys are a little more open to showing that and the women will probably go bare face first before showing you what their hair is really doing. 
Um, well, there's a reason for that. I think the first is because, um, and let's talk specifically about hair. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of, and that happens to me as well too, like, cause I have my hair battles. Um, I think the hair is one of the real deal breakers in terms of confidence. Like that is the first thing that can really buckle you and bring you down to mm-hmm. your knees besides weight gain. Mm-hmm. is what that hair is actually doing and what that looks like. So I think as women, we've been hiding a bit more, or perhaps that's the first thing to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the bare face, it's easier to show that than anything else. Mm-hmm. Beauty to me, the definition of beauty has always been individuality and confidence. Mm-hmm. The two go hand in hand. It's never been about and, and I'm a person that actually provides beauty services, and I'm saying this. It's more than just what a person actually looks like. I'm telling you that the majority of the work that I do and my team does is not just applying makeup or, or doing hair or nails or anything else, massage therapy. It is channeling energy. Mm. We spend a lot of time trying to lift people up out of the doldrums trying to convince them that they're good enough, trying to convince them that, they, that they're already beautiful before or even before they ever needed our services. That's really the, the biggest thing to me, what beauty actually is. It's the belief and the confidence and the insight that you are enough, you can do it, you already have it, um, makeup and, and hair is just the icing on the cake to what was already there. So that that's a big deal for me in terms of what beauty actually means. But there's um, a site that everyone should know about that actually celebrates women that are 40 plus. And the reason why it started at 40 is because that's the critical time when women really start to shift where things really start to shift within them in terms of hormones, going whack, wackadoo, weight gain, um, hair shedding, um, eyesight shifting. All those things start to happen in the 40s. And I wished that someone said it to me coming into 40 so that I would have been better, just geared up, ready you know, to understand what was happening to me. But um, it's called Fortified. And I was asked to join Fortified a number of years ago by my childhood friend, Enid Dillard, that created the site as a platform to celebrate women in all their glory. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a site where we can share wisdom with each other as to how it is along the journey, drop gems of lifestyle. I'm in charge of beauty. So I talk a lot about being natural. Gray hair is not what gray used to be when we were growing up. That's why I let it go. Mm-hmm. I was fighting it at, at first. The grades started coming in for me um, sophomore year in, in college. And of course, I was taking the tweezers and plucking it, not realizing that it would cause it to come in even more. But once it really started coming in, like in my 40s, I was like, oh my goodness. I was having this daily battle of, do I color it? Do I not? Do I color it? Do I not? Then finally, I went blonde, all the way blonde. I broke my hair off like nobody's business did not know that would happen hair was shedding all over the place then stress coming in like with the hormones and just stress from you know work and situations you know hair shedding like I mean it was just crazy and then I 
realized that, you know what, I really have to go all the way natural with this thing and not look at gray hair as gray when I was growing up, but gray as the new sexy. Like, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. I believe it, that it's sexy, it will be that. So it was a whole nother mind shift for me. And I think it is for women that Mara, we spoke about it before. There's something really powerful about going gray and feeling, feeling yourself within that. It's an ownership of of who you are. It's about what you've been through and how far you've come and what you've survived and just how dope you are. I mean, exactly. It's a stamp of your journey. That's how Absolutely. I look at gray hair and wrinkles and worry lines. I look at it like it's my warrior stripes. Yes. All those years of worrying, building the business and nightmares and praying and all that. Those are my warrior stripes. I can't look at it like, oh, I don't look. No, that's my individual thing. Nobody else has that line in their face. I have it. That's what was given to me. And I need to embrace it and stop fighting it. And that's the same way I looked at it with the hair. Like, okay, this is it. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) This is it. So for someone who who wants to start a business in the beauty industry, what is your biggest lesson learned or your best advice? I think anyone starting off in the beauty industry, my advice first to them would be don't follow anyone else's journey, follow your own voice, follow what the vision is that is placed on you within the industry. And if that's a brand new thing, take a chance and do that thing, but never feel that you have to follow others in order to make it or to be validated within this industry. Do your own thing because I am definitely proof that Starting the traveling beauty services, we built an industry literally from nothing. And I'm happy for that. I'm really proud of that because we were able to employ so many people to deliver their art. I think the biggest lesson that I'd like to share from the very beginning is try not to feel that you have to appease everyone in the sense of buying every product out there for your makeup kit or your hair kit. You have to be like MacGyver. Within this, you have to be able to quickly mix products and colors together on a dime with very little resources. And if you can do that, then you have a lot more longevity within the industry. And also, you'll be able to have your seed money to start your investing. So I believe we all have the same 24 hours, but we do different things with them. And that's why some people are more successful than others. What are the three things you feel that you do every day that have helped you create long-term success? The first thing I do before I get up in the morning is I pray while still laying in the bed. I thank Jesus for another day and another chance to get this thing right. I then do um, meditation um, in some form of exercise just to open me up. And then the third thing I do is I log in detail my to-do list. I don't keep thoughts and ideas in my head because when I try to do that, or I believe if anyone tries to do that, you become overwhelmed and become paralyzed by your thoughts and then you can't move. But if you have them 
written down and they're in my, used to be my notebook. Then it turned into my Blackberry. Now it's on my iPhone. All my detailed thoughts of visions, products, events, sketches for new face charts, colors, Zoom lessons, themes that I'd like to share, all those things, all those wonderful ideas have to be written down so that they can be executed in a timeline. Mm -hmm. And that has been my biggest discipline and my biggest success tip within a 23-year-long business journey. Wonderful. What is one thing that you remind yourself of every day? Andrea, you have always been really hard on yourself the entire way, but you were always good enough, better than you ever knew. Huh, I, lo- I love that. I-, I got caught up for a minute because I'm just like, you do. You have to remind yourself that you are good enough all the time. So good. Yeah. So you, you are on Built by a Boss. This podcast is called Built by a Boss. What is your definition of a boss, Andrea? Ooh, to me, a boss is someone that is trying to bring everyone else on the ship along with them. They don't rock alone. They rock as a unit, a team, everyone working in unison. A boss is someone that wants to see other people shine as well as them. A boss is a visionary. A boss is someone that sees the future and goes for it. That's a boss to me. Excellent. How can people find Andrea Fairweather and Fairweather Faces? Yes. I would love for you to reach out to me and the team on all social media platforms at Fairweather Faces. And you can get the face kits at fairweatherfaces.com. You can also sign up for subscriptions at fairweatherfaces.com. That's a big one because that way you can get beauty advice from us and have products selected specifically for you and shipped to you. That's so, it's so much fun when my team and I get together and look at your photo and discuss you. We, we're having discussions about each of you and what will work best for you. It's really, really, really cool. And yeah, that's it. It's all the social media platforms, fairweatherfaces.com. All right. Well, Andrea, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Everybody's going to get so much out of it. We talked about so much and just so many things that I think are going to really be just beneficial for, for the journey of women in terms of beauty inside and out. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you um, for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm Evelyn Brooks, and you've been listening to Built by a Boss. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're new to the show, liked the episode, and found it valuable, please take a moment to leave a five-star review and a comment. It really helps other people find us who might like the podcast. You can follow us at Built by a Boss on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find me at InMySolitudeLA.com where I host workshops on goal setting and entrepreneurship. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, be kind, be brave, be better, be a boss.